The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Good morning. I'm Kate Ebner, and I'm your host today. Our conversation today will be with Doug Silsby, a preeminent author and thought leader in the field of presence-based coaching, leadership development, and also resilience. Doug's groundbreaking work integrates deep, pragmatic experience in organizational and leadership development with mindfulness, interpersonal neurobiology, somatics, and developmental psychology. He's written two books, The Mindful Coach and Presence-Based Coaching, um, and these are the basis for a leading-edge coach certification program that he offers uh, to people who are interested in this um, deep dive into into presence-based coaching. Doug is also a master somatic coach. He works with the prestigious Josie Institute, and he's a frequent speaker. At conferences and other places, he teaches here with us at the Institute for Transformational Leadership in the, um, in the Certificate for Transformational Leadership. He also teaches at George Mason and the Federal Executive Institute. He's um, very accomplished, very thoughtful, and I'm so glad, Doug, that you're here with us this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Kate. Delightful to be with you here discussing something of great interest to both of us. It certainly is. And you've been on our show before, and I wanted to bring you back because I think that lately we've been uh, talking about, working with, and thinking about uh, the challenge of leaders in a complex world. And I will tell you, Doug, that I've been um, in my travels, in my own work, I've been hearing so many people say the world is complicated. It's more complex than ever before. And we're all saying it. We're certainly all living it. The question is, what can we do about it? And what does it really mean for us as leaders? So I'm hoping you'll be able to help us today think about uh, the potential of leading in a really complex time. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'm sure that in an hour that you and I can come up with a good definitive silver bullet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can take a stab at it for sure. (laughs) You're right. Uh, Certainly is ubiquitous. Uh, How how many leaders uh, are are talking about how the world has changed and how uh, they're struggling to keep up and uh, in the space of this constant overwhelm of unpredictability and uncertainty. So true. You know, and and I wonder. You know, we're naming it, which of course is a good thing. In other words, we're we're understanding that the conditions for leadership have changed. That the world is moving faster. We're in a global economy. Um, the conditions for the planet Earth have changed. The rising population growth. The uh, shifts in generational. Uh, leadership and management. There's so many things we can point to that tell us that this is the case. And yet I'd like to maybe begin by just going right to the heart of it, which is from a coach's perspective, working with leaders who are faced with organizational challenges um, in, you know, kind of an overwhelming environment. There's so much to do, so little time and all of that. Um, How do you begin your work, Doug, with coaches? I'm sorry, not with coaches, but how do you begin your work as a coach with leaders? I think one of the one of the key things, Kate, is to um, is to help leaders see that um, that simply acting differently in the context that people are operating in isn't sufficient, although that's part of it. And I, I think that's what the predominance of the leadership literature and the complexity literature encourages um, leaders to do, is to take different kinds of actions in complex environments. And those things are, are uh, of course, necessary. And I think the piece that's missing a lot of it is uh, what you call the, the inner game. It's the 
is this piece about the interior condition of the leader, I think is absolutely critical. And so, so what we, what, what's commonly described as this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous context has um, a lot of implications for leaders' experience of themselves. So leaders that grow up thinking they can control things and making things happen in this kind of VUCA environment uh, they, those, those suppositions no longer hold true. And it, it threatens the very identity that these leaders have uh, come to invest in over and over again throughout the years. So, so I think that's, that's a way in, is to, uh, is to acknowledge the inner experience of the leader and how um, threatening these changed contexts are to their very sense of who they are. What does that mean, Doug, in terms of, you know, I think of my own um, coaching practice and I think of a, a CEO client I've been working with and, you know, his, he's been the CEO for some time, a number of years. His question to me in our opening conversation was, what is a CEO supposed to be doing? <laughs> and I mean, he's been doing a great job by all accounts, you know, all right. but I think there's, I think in a way that question um, frames for me the, the sense that, you know, like I'm sort of doing everything I can from, from the angle I know how to do it. What am I missing? You know, what's the blind spot or what, what should I be doing? Um, is this what you mean about the challenge to identity? Yeah, it is. And I just, I, I hear your brief story about the CEO client and, and my, my head is off to him for being willing to, um, to ask that fundamental a question, because I think I think one of the the defaults is we try and do the things that we have done in the past and do them harder or push them more, and and to to ask the very question what should a CEO be doing really implies a willingness to examine fundamental assumptions to to enter in. Um, Seeing that we ourselves are one of the variables of this complex, uncertain, ambiguous environment. Um, that it's not just a description of the context, it's a description of ourselves in the context. And on the one hand, that can feel scary and ungrounding because we're letting go of any illusion of certainty that we should even know what we're doing. Um, on the other hand, it opens the territory to ask these deeper kinds of questions and, and to really um, cultivate a certain kind of openness to uh, really different ways of seeing and perceiving. And that question is a great identity question. What should the CEO be doing? What should I be doing? Who, who am I called to be in this uncertain context? It's a, it's a great opening question and a great invitation for a different kind of dialogue, I think. Where do you go with, with that in terms of, you know, um, I imagine for some folks who are listening, they might be, um, maybe whether they're CEOs or not, might be facing challenges or stepping up to, um, to big responsibilities. And I can remember a time early in my career when I was given a big responsibility and I suddenly realized that I needed to think differently and see the world differently and, and act differently. In other words, I needed to become different in order to be the leader who was needed to lead this change. And I remember going away that summer on vacation, reading every leadership book I could find, just trying to get my head around, how do I, how do I not only make this shift, but signal to others that I'm not the same old leader that they had previously known that I was actually making a shift and and I and it was a lear- it was a huge learning curve and I remember reaching for resources you know and I I'm, I'm curious about um what what you do with leaders when you're working with them as they begin to move down the path of um recognizing that the current challenges call for them to grow yeah, uh, Robert Keegan says, when we experience the world as too complex, we're not just experiencing the complexity of the world, we're experiencing a mismatch between the world's complexity and our own at this moment. And, and so I think this is, um, 
you know, Keegan is one of the great developmental psychologists, of course, and has done uh, a lot of work in organizational application of, of his theoretical work. And this, this understanding of the mismatch that, that our own meaning-making capacity falls short of what the context is requiring us for. Um, and, and I think this, uh, this uh, sort of fundamental examination becomes really crucial. So I'm, I'm curious, when you, when you did this um, uh, sort of reworking of yourself, that I'm, I'm curious, Kate, how, how one, those books supported that process of redefining your own identity in this different context? And also, like, where did they fall short or what was missing? You know, I, I remember, um, I think I was in my in my early 30s at the time, and I, I remember realizing that I needed to see the whole system mm-hmm. and not just my functional responsibility, which was now much more system-wide than it had previously been. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember reading books um, by all the great authors about leading change and about understanding change. And I, I've had to get my mind around what is what is change? And the fact that change has any predictability to it was mm-hmm. a surprise to me. <laughs> so first grasping what change was and then understanding that systems change required uh, a different, a, a, a more holistic view. That uh, was a part of it. And I remember deciding to start with my, I had a, we had reorganized the organization and I had a huge piece of it. And I, we, we decided, I decided to start with values as a conversation with my new staff because I found, I found in my reading that values was uh, kind of like a ground underneath us and that when we understood and shared values, we could operate and make decisions. And so, you know, in that first year, we did a lot of work with um, our shared values, which I thought would be an exercise. It ended up being a year-long dialogue, actually, for our group to really uh, embrace and understand values together. Um, where it fell short for me, when I look back on that, is I remember feeling lonely in the process. There was It seemed like there was no one to talk to. I needed to figure it out on my own. And uh, I could sense that there was this, um, th- this perspective and this kind of leadership that I could bring, but I didn't know who to talk about that with or where to find resources. This was before I had heard of leadership coaching and before I had moved into organization development and any of those other things. So it felt to me like um, like a gamble, I think probably riskier than it needed to feel had I had uh, more more support. Yeah, I, well, I think that, that kind of support that you're talking about is is really crucial. And, um, you know, there's, there's an old axiom that the, the uh, higher that we get in an organization, the less truth we are given by the people around us. And so there's this sort of uh, seduction of the leader process that my uh, friend Rod Napier writes about. And, and I think one of the things to, um, uh, one of the molds to break here is that, the mindset, both on the part of the leader and the re- people reporting to that leader, is that the, the leader should have all the answers. And so this this willingness to ask questions like, what should the CEO be doing? Or, or what does this context require me to be? And to be transparent and vulnerable in those questions opens up or can, has the potential to open up a whole different kind of conversation, uh, a conversation for learning, a conversation for discovery. Now, that comes back to the identity question because most of us who've, who've, who've held a lot of responsibility have an identity built around solving problems, around being the expert, around being smart, around being able to control things. And all of that feels good to the identity that we have uh, sort of constructed over the decades of our, of our lifetime. And so to say, I don't know the answer here actually requires confronting or, or moving against the strong currents of our sort of our biological need to create and preserve identity. So I think this is one of the places where somatics becomes really important, where uh, sensing um, our inner processes, sensing our urges and our attachments and our aversions, the, the sort of microscopic biological structures by which we hold those identities in place 
I think can actually loosen the grip of them significantly and open us to new learning. You know, that's wonderful. I, I, I want to talk more about that, and um, we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes. Maybe we can really focus on that after the break. I, I think about the, um, you know, what you what we are calling the inner game, I, and I think about what you just said about um, the belief that we have that our value is in being problem solvers, mm-hmm. and that we actually build an identity around the idea that I'm a really great problem solver or I love to solve problems. And I certainly hear this a lot from my coaching clients. Um, and the, the possibility exists that you actually can bring far more than solutions through your leadership, that, there's, that problem solving is only one kind of value, that, that leadership has the potential to bring um, much, much more than solutions to problems. And in fact, that perhaps not having the answer is the way to uh, find better solutions. And by that, I mean that others may have better answers, you know. So it's a, we see it in our transformational leadership course and in our coaching program at ITL. When we begin the program, we invite people to see themselves as beginners again and free themselves from having to know the answers. And, you know, it's a strange invitation for some, but it's a great way to, to open up to learning. Yeah, it's great. I think there's a, an invitation here to loosen and expand our sense of identity so that we can actually play, move fluidly between different roles as the context requires. Yeah, beautifully put. We're going to take a break right now. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today, Doug Silsby, teaches at ITL. He's written some fantastic books. And when we come back after the break, we're going to dig in a little bit more. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and a certificate in facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. This is Kate Ebner. My guest today is Doug Silsby. Welcome back. Before the break, Doug, we were talking about. Um, Boy, identity and letting go, relaxing, expanding, allowing yourself not to know in service to becoming the leader that's needed, who's needed. And um, I wanted to go back to the conversation we started to have about the somatic element. Could you explain for our listeners what you mean by somatic? Yeah, so uh, somatics is, um, the, the word comes from the Greek word soma, which means the body and its wholeness. And one of the uh, the primary teachers in this field is Richard Strozzi Heckler, who's been a, a strong influence on on my work. Um, and so, when we when we talk about somatics, we're talking about um, uh, bringing awareness to the inner life of the body, the 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 very uh, sensations and physiological responses we have to what's going on around us. 
And this, this, uh, this present moment awareness, I think, um, allows us to choose what we direct our attention towards and um, leads towards what Viktor Frankl called the last of the human freedoms, which is the capacity to choose one's own attitude regardless of the circumstances. So this is, this is uh, Frankl wrote this, of course, after his time in a Nazi concentration camp, but this is the essence of resilience, is for us to be able to choose what we direct our attention to, and nobody nor any set of circumstances can take away that fundamental human freedom. So I think this is what somatics points us to, and um, could I elaborate on this and sort of move into the see, see, sensing being acting model a little bit, Kate? Would Absolutely. You I would love to go there. So, so one of the things that makes it particularly challenging for highly successful leaders to respond to a radically changed context is that their identities, I'll say our identities because this is really all of us, our identities are impinged upon by the volatility and the uncertainty of the context. And so what we tend to do is hunker down or work harder or try to do more of what we've always done because it's been successful in the past. But when the context is complex, um, that's often not the right strategy and often actually directly counterproductive. So so for the last couple of years, we've been playing with this model, uh, sensing, being, and acting. So sensing, for example, means sensing and observing the context around us. What, what are the characteristics of it? What, what makes it unpredictable? How are people that we expect to behave in a certain way behaving really differently? And how might they be making sense of the same context such that these behaviors actually make sense? So this is a, a sensing of the context, but then we also sense our identities, how how are we affected by this? How are we knocked off our rocker by these strange things that are happening and these unpredictable things? How is our sense of identity and our sense of ourself threatened by this? And then underneath that, how do we begin to sense our interiority, sense our inner condition, so that we actually feel our body responding to the pressures that come at us from outside. And this might show up as our urges to interrupt or our urge to take over a meeting and drive for a result or our attachments to being seen in a particular way by our stakeholders. All of these subtle phenomena, we can actually learn to sense within us. And these are the the biological processes or the physiological processes by which our identity is is held in in place. So there are three levels of sensing. You're sensing the context, sensing our identity and how it's challenged by the context, and then sensing our interiority, our interior condition, which um, is fundamentally designed to support that identity in the first place. And so when we, when we have these three perspectives on sensing, then we can begin to um, work with ourselves to inhabit a state that's more creative and more resourceful and more resilient, no matter what's going on around us. And that, that's uh, what we call um, uh, physiologically supported, sustainable leadership development. It's in the body. Can you say that really uh, simply, Doug, because I feel like I could study what you just said for a long time and and come to really understand it, but you were really talking about three levels of sensing, sensing the context, sensing the identity or the um, sort of the self's response, and then the interiority, you said, and and I would love for you to talk a little bit more about what is the interiority? Like what, what does what, if one's actually doing this level of sensing, what's happening in plain terms? Yeah. So when we, um, when we sense ourselves and you can, you can try it yourself, just uh, sitting here, all, all you listeners out there across the world, just take a moment and sense your 
feet on the ground and really feel the specific sensation of your feet. And at the same time, extend your body upwards so that you're tall in your seat. So you're sensing your feet and you're extending your, your length upward to be as long as possible. And, and if you notice, you can notice that there are two, at least two phenomena that happen here. One, there's information there. Like you can actually feel your feet, the warmth of your, your feet in the, the shoes, the, the sensation of the carpet under your feet, whatever it is, there's actual data there. And you can cultivate your capacity to pay attention to this kind of data throughout your entire body. The second thing that happens is when you direct your attention into the, the sensations in your body, it brings you immediately into the present moment. It slows down, even if only slightly at first, the chatter of this uh, monkey mind of a brain that we have that's going 90 miles an hour all day. It slows that down. It brings us into the present moment. And so in a few seconds here, you can begin to experience um, what happens when we begin to pay, what we say, pay attention to your interiority, to your, to your sensations. And so this is, this is the act of choosing what we pay attention to. I think where leaders get overwhelmed is they're paying attention only to the context and trying to figure out what to do, trying to figure out what to navigate it. But in so doing, they've lost touch with themselves. So what becomes imperative is to sense the context, sense how the context is affecting us as a human being, but then also develop this capacity to uh, sense our, our, our interior experience because um, this is how we recover our resilience. So a, a, a way that someone might use this is, uh, let's just say they're in a meeting and it's a controversial topic and their mind is fully occupied by the topic, but they begin to notice that um, they have a mounting sense of anxiety or frustration. And they, so they, they're beginning to, to think ahead to sort of um, worst case scenarios, or maybe they're starting to um, form negative thoughts about the people in the room. Who knows? And You must be coaching the same people, aren't you? <laughs> and in that moment, they're what we might call triggered. You know, they're, they're suddenly poised to pounce. But knowing that, noticing that, bringing attention to the interior, right, back to the body, back to perhaps the feet on the floor, um, the sensations of sitting in the chair, um, they're bringing themselves out of the... Um, complicated uh, thought process and emotional content and contextual setting and back into the here and now, you know, in other words, by noticing my chair, by noticing my feet, I can regroup. Exactly. And you'll notice that in that little scenario, which is a very realistic uh, scenario, um, that all three of these levels of sensing were present, that there was a dynamic in the meeting that this uh, hypothetical leader was, was observing, that sensing the context, that that uh, was affecting this person's, this person's identity as someone who gets things done or brings the meeting to a desirable conclusion. So there's identity in there. And there's an internal experience of this urge to interrupt or drive a solution or cut somebody off who's, who's, uh, who's rambling, whatever it is. But that urge can be felt on the interior. And if if somebody is present to themselves, if somebody is present to their inner condition, this is the being part, then they have choice about whether to interrupt or not interrupt. Without that choice, people generally do what's automatic to them. And that's why we give people these 360-degree feedback that, uh, that points out their behaviors that are visible to everybody else. But most of the time, they're actually not visible to the leader uh, because they're acting out of these default kinds of habits. And so I think this sensing of the interior allows leaders to begin to regulate and settle and access a more uh, resilient inner condition out of which to act. It, it, it introduces a moment of uh, choice into what's generally an automatic process. Wonderful. Wonderful. And... And um, 
I love that distinction that um, that this this mindfulness, this presence, introduces choice into what otherwise is an automatic situation. So I think, um, you know, I think one of the best places where I always invite my clients to practice this kind of mindfulness is at home, mm-hmm. right? Because that's where we tend to be um, not thinking we need to mind our manners and behave, but actually we tend to be quite reactive. Um, so it's a, a, another idea for those listening that you might want to practice this um, in the privacy of your home with those you love, just noticing your reactions, noticing physically what that feels like and seeing if you can bring yourself back to having a choice versus just your habitual response. Uh, what opens up? You started to talk about being um, moving from sensing to being, what what do you, tell us more about the possibilities with awareness of being. Well, just to also build on what you were saying about uh, practicing at home, we can practice a, a, a couple of different ways. We can practice with our loved ones in conversation, being more present. And so our professional leadership, leadership development actually starts to affect in positive ways other parts of our uh, life as well. A, a couple of practices that are really fundamental are some kind of a sitting attention practice. And um, uh, busy leaders often say, well, I don't have time to add anything else to my schedule. But there's an extensive body of research that says as little as eight minutes a day of sitting practice can sharpen our capacity to pay attention, uh, to choose what we're paying attention to, and has all kinds of physiological and um, health benefits as well. Eight minutes a day. And one of, the, one of the consequences of that is that we become more able to intervene in our own automaticity. This is a, a really crucial thing. And I, I think the, the, the complexity, the complexity of the context that we're uh, operating in tends to lead us to feel threatened and then we're not a choice. So to be able to choose take more time, take more spaciousness to choose what our response is, is is a really powerful thing. And then the second thing is that you alluded to, if we're having conversations with our loved ones, um, what is it that we're noticing about these conversations when we're more present? And so we can do what we in our work call a structured self-observation, where you actually take just a couple minutes of notes each day on what's different. What do you notice about bringing that awareness into your conversations with your family members or with colleagues at work? And how are they responding differently to you? So it's, it's again, cultivating that capacity to sense um, ourselves and our context. So I, I took off on the practice thing and then um, got all excited about that and missed your question so no I don't think so I was my question really was around this idea of being and I think we alluded to to a form of this question early in our conversation when we were talking about the leader who's reflecting as I once had to do we're going to take a break right now I'm Kate Ebner my guest today Doug Silsby teaches at ITL he's written some fantastic books and when we come back after the break we're going to dig in a little bit more we'll be right back markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network founded in 2012 the institute for transformational leadership itl is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer three cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, and a Certificate in Facilitation. 
We also offer a range of ICF certified advanced coach education courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back once again. This is Kate Ebner. I'm talking with Doug Silsby today. Um, Doug, right before the we took a break, I think we had an interruption in our in our service. I want to give you a chance to um, f- complete the thought that you were having about um, uh, the, the meeting. So why don't you go ahead and and just um, put a period at the end of that sentence for us? <laughs> well, I think that uh, it, just riffing off of this uh, example of the person in a meeting feeling really frustrated with the way it's going, that if that person can cultivate um, this capacity to be uh, in a different state, a different way of being in the meeting, that it actually has a profound effect on the entire meeting. There was a, uh, a senior VP I was coaching uh, a few years ago, and he was um, very much of a driver of the meetings. And it was said about him that he sucked all the oxygen out of the meetings. And when he, when he learned how to settle himself, ask different kinds of questions, and then allow space for people to ask the, to respond to the questions, which meant actually settling back in his chair and opening his stance and uh, cultivating curiosity. The level of engagement in, it, in his team engaged radically, which was one of the main things that was a, a presenting issue in the first place. And so he discovered that his capacity to manage his own state, his being, coupled with different kinds of behaviors together produce really different results in the meetings. I love that. And I think it's so important um, for everyone to realize that, um, that these kinds of changes can actually change the tone, uh, the tenor, the nature can influence relationships. You know, so we tend when we're busy, especially when we're in in responsible positions, we tend to focus on the doing or the acting part of leadership, just trying to get things done and move things forward and move right past the opportunity to think about how we are, our way of being, um, our state of being. Um, I think this is really important. Um, it really brings us back to uh, one of the places we started, which is how um, uh, much of the complexity in leadership development literature focuses on different kinds of actions that we can take. And... Um, that's, I think, necessary but not sufficient. Just like a, a 360 survey might tell that leader that um, that uh, he or she is interrupting meetings a lot and is having a negative effect and interrupt less. So we're looking at the outer expression of an inner state. We're asking the leader to change a behavior without giving that leader the support of presence, the support of um, awareness of sensation, the support of the capacity to sense their interior condition and settle it before taking, re- uh, taking action. And those things make a, a, a tremendous difference. Well, they really do. I mean, as you say that, it occurs to me how often I know that people um, have been told that they need to change behavior or really want to see someone else change a behavior. But I think that um, the idea of behavior change is really skimming the surface. You know, this this level of support we're talking about of really helping people uh, become aware, um, so that they can not only change the behavior but actually understand the conditions that created the behavior in the yeah. first place and make a much deeper kind of a shift. Yeah, that's, um, that's beautifully said. It's it's really skipping directly to the acting part of this this triumvirate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we focus on acting, which of course is the end result, but we skip over 
the sensing, which is a more skillful kind of observing, and we skip over the being, which is the ability to to produce or invite a certain kind of interior condition that's most useful for our leadership capacity. So if we if we um, make the processes of sensing how we take in information about the world and being our interior condition, if we make those visible, and this is you know coming back to developmental psychology, this is the the that fundamental subject object shift that Keegan talks about. It's making the invisible visible. And when we do that, we gain tremendous leverage over the domain of, of acting. The, the, our actions emerge from a different state. And uh, this supports leadership presence. It supports uh, creating cultures of curiosity and discover and experimentation. It builds trust. It creates authenticity. It has all kinds of things that uh, sort of affect the more subtle dynamics of how a team or an organization engages their context in new and creative ways. You know, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, that, you know, the, the possibilities are extraordinary, and to get there, we actually have to slow down. <laughs> that can be so hard to do. That is a great paradox. And how many clients have you had that say, well, I don't have the time to slow down? Oh, every one of them. I hear myself say it sometimes too, Doug. frequently. <laughs> but, but, and, and yet, um, you know, to get out of that automaticity of that, that um, automatic reaction and response, our habits, our, our anxiety or adrenaline-driven behaviors, we do need to slow down. And 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 what I, what I sometimes say to my clients, I'm curious what you think of this, Doug. Is I sometimes say, you know, the beauty of all of what we're talking about is that um, you can practice it um, quiet quietly. People don't necessarily need to know that you're working on this. They will experience a difference, mm-hmm. but they but you don't have to make a big thing about I'm changing or I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to do that. It, it, really, this is about becoming capable of being more present while in the same meeting with the same people you know it's really you that you're working on and it's and it's a it is a private inner process and it, you can practice it every day uh, yes i i agree with that and um i think it can be really helpful for leaders to public the ways they're trying to change because um one, it creates a field that tends to um, uh, generate feedback about the behavior they're trying to change, and it also attunes the attention of others to those new kinds of uh, states and new behaviors. And we create actually shared language that can help the entire system move. So, uh, so it's a it's a yes and yes. These are inner practices that we can do that um, if people are paying attention in the system, they will begin to notice. Um, and if we're public about these things, sometimes those shifts can happen uh, a, a little bit faster or even a lot faster. So is this helpful for people at every stage of their development? Is there, is, I mean, whether it's, you know, somebody who's maybe aspiring to leadership, uh, sort of more more of a manager, or somebody who's really responsible, um, like my CEO client for the whole enterprise. Um, you know, who should practice this? My belief is everybody should practice this. Um, I actually think um, that this should be taught in schools, starting with fourth and fifth, uh, four and five and six year olds. Um, I think it's a fundamental human capacity that directly affects the way we engage with uh, conflict, the, the way we solve problems, the way we work with teams. Um, I think it's uh, um, a fundamental flaw in our educational system that we raise uh, we raise kids who later become CEOs that are uh, um, largely driven by extrinsic kinds of motivations and uh, and their performance is rewarded. Um, so it's not that performance and rewards are bad things. It's that when we build identity around these extrinsic kinds of rewards, it becomes much more difficult to shake the hold of those identities when they are um, 
not serving us. Uh, this is one of the things that's uh, one of the threads that's run throughout this conversation is is how um, our the very ways in which we are wired tend to um, lead us into narrower and narrower kinds of default behaviors. I think it also ties back to what you were saying a few minutes ago about uh, how people feel uh, so pressed for time and how it becomes so difficult for people to um, make space to invest in their own capacity. I think one of the things is we tend to we tend to think about problems as complicated as distinct from complex. And complicated problems require a certain kind of uh, engineering mindset to solve them. And sometimes complex problems, what they need is more time and space. And so we're, when we approach things that are complex, thinking they're complicated or unconsciously assuming they're complicated, we actually clutter our time up with a lot of activities that don't really add value. So it's just a little bit of a counter argument to this notion that we uh, we don't have time to think differently. We don't have time to do practices that help us um, settle and access more resourceful states. Doug, can you give us an example of a client you've worked with or a situation you've worked with um, where using this approach, you've really been able to help that leader um, change and and you know open up to a whole new set of possibilities yeah i'm uh i'm thinking of the uh very senior leader that inherited an organization that was in need of um um a lot of overhauling there was a, a lot of pretty ossified mindsets and um ways of of solving problems and doing things that weren't working very well but people were very comfortable uh, and fat in their ways of doing things and and his, he had a mandate to uh, to shake this organization up, and he was a uh, he was a fixer. He he very much organized around solving problems and driving solutions and directing things, and he'd been very very successful. And yet, what was really crucial was for him to um, earn the trust and authenticity um, and ownership, where everybody could own this change process, and. And when he drove things, it produced uh, pushback, it produced resistance. And so when he slowed himself down, when he engaged in his organization with a more facilitative kind of leadership style, um, he began to build different alliances and he started to build alliances of shared interests with some of the people that uh, initially were, uh, were really oppositional when this, when this happened. And he, in doing this, he took on a set of um, body-based practices, including some uh, Tai Chi kinds of movement things and uh, paying attention to sensation. And he could be, begin to feel how strong that urge was to fix and engineer and solve problems. And uh, he was able to settle back and actually trust this process of emergence more. And paradoxically, he discovered more time and space as this went on, as he was less consumed with engineering this organizational transformation, um, as he began to build a leadership team and a culture that supported what the changes were about, he uh, also discovered that there was more time and more space in his calendar. That's a great example. Thank you. And, and, um, you know, for people who would like to get started with this, really want to learn more from you or about this approach, um, what do you recommend? What's the best way to follow you or be in touch with, with your work? Um, people can go to our website, which is presencebasedcoaching.com. Um, there's, a, there's a little subscribe form on the left that you can, uh, you can join, and we, we don't overwhelm people with emails, but you can keep touch with the uh, latest developments in this work. We're working on a um, – uh, we've had some technical glitches with this, but we're uh, getting ready to put out quite a variety of materials and basically a Creative Commons kind of licensing arrangement where people can take these things, graphics and articles and – um, short pieces and tools 
that are very pragmatic and take and use in their businesses and in their leadership um, in any way they wish. So uh, that's the that's the best uh, best place to go is right right to the website and then uh, subscribe. You know, Doug. Usually, I ask this question very early in the, in a in a conversation, but today I want to ask it at the end, and that's, you know, what draws you to this work? Hmm. You know, um, when I teach a retreat, um, whenever I'm co-facilitating with somebody, a few minutes before the retreat, we we ask each other. One of us asks the other, "So, why are we doing this?" And the answer is. Uh, always different and always interesting. And so that's, that's the kind of question um, uh, that you just asked. And I, I want to ask you the same question back in a moment, so just a little heads up there. Um, so, so I do this work because I think that this territory is the leading edge of how humans, and specifically leaders, but, but all humans are leaders in some sense, of how humans can respond creatively to a context that has never existed before in the 13.8 billion year history of the universe. And uh, the stakes are pretty high. And so there's this grand story and this grand um, um, situation that we find ourselves in that's pretty unpredictable. And what it's really going to come down to, what determines the fate that's hanging in the balance, is the actions of individual humans that are... Um, increasing their capacity to change perspectives and take different kinds of actions and and act with compassion and wisdom in a in a in a context that sometimes seems to make that impossible. So, Kate, why is it that you do this work? <laughs> I have one minute to answer this question. I want to say ditto, but I won't do that. I'll simply say, um, uh, I guess I believe in people. I believe in. I believe that we can make the difference that's necessary um, in our times. And I think that having said that, it's not easy to do. We don't know where to start. It's hard to find the resources and the ideas and the communities that will support us. And I really want to be a part of um, creating a better future and and helping people to do that. And I I guess I just really believe that um, we are the people whose vision and presence and leadership is needed at this time and so i'm i'm all in for that beautiful kate thank you so much for doing the work that you do and thanks for having me on the show again well it's been a pleasure and i it's hard to believe our hour is already up um doug but for those listening who would love to learn more from doug i will mention again that he teaches in our transformational leadership certificate program at georgetown university and the institute for transformational leadership i'm kate ebner my guest doug silsby we've had a great hour thank you doug Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.